If you have an interest in horses and love learning more about horses, the horse industry, teaching, or even managing your own horse business, then you're in the right place. We would love you to join us on our mission, which is to improve the lives of horses around the world through the education of riders, handlers, and trainers. So get comfortable, listen in, and enjoy. Today's chat's been brought to you by International Horse College. We have a mission to improve the welfare of horses throughout the world through the safe education of riders, handlers and trainers and that's what these chats are all about. Registered Training Organisation 31352. Today's guest is Maxine Cummings. Maxine's a teacher and she's also a dressage judge, coach, trainer and competitor. She likes to teach the nervous riders to improve their riding skills. could include going on, getting better dressage scores, doing a bit of jumping and some trail riding as well. And Maxine's a coach educator, so she helped bring on other equestrian coaches. How are you today, Maxine? Very good. Thanks, Glennis. <laughs> now, Maxine, you know that we start with a favourite quote. So what's your favourite quote? Probably a favourite quote I um, I found um, very shortly after I had uh, a bit of a serious riding accident, mm-hmm. and that was, don't let fears get in the way of your dreams. Um, I was getting a little bit fearful of getting back on, worried, that sort of thing, and uh, saw it on a bumper sticker and thought, oh, yep, this is exactly what I need. And, and just the other day, I saw another one that I think was really um, pertinent that Walt Disney had said, and he says, all your dreams can come true if you have the courage to pursue them. So I think that's um, something that I sort of go by as far as that's concerned. Using these two quotes, do you teach them to your students? I certainly do. I, in teaching, all sorts of teaching, I mean, a lot of it is really sort of trying to get into people's sort of mindset so that they can let go of some fears and allow themselves to actually get on and really enjoy what they're doing and not let that sort of consume their thoughts as Mm -hmm. far as that's concerned. So, yes, I do use that. I'm just thinking about that bumper sticker you saw. You know, you saw it at the right moment. That bumper sticker might have been on thousands of cars in your past but it was at that moment that you need to have don't let fears. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Now tell us about your first memories with horses or an early memory that stands out for you. Well, as far as I know, I've always wanted to do horse stuff Mm -hmm. and uh, my family weren't really horsey at all and uh, the closest I could come was um, my uh, we'd have a little bit of a holiday in the country and I was about four years old and uh, they had the old station horse there and uh, I got very upset with my father because he didn't know how to put the bridle on the (laughs) horse that we had and so I kind of missed out on my um, ride on old trigger sort of around the backyard through the clothes horse so that was certainly a uh, a very happy memory. But uh, then I sort of saved every penny that I could and bought my first horse, um, Peppy. And, you know, that was just absolutely fun. You know, no mobile phones, no nothing. You'd just get on your horse in the early morning and say, see you later, Mum. And uh, the requirements were, let's get back before dark. And, yes. Uh, the horse would take you anywhere. You yep. could go to the beach, you could go to the dam, you could go up the mountain and visit your friends. And, uh, yeah, it was something that you could just go for miles and never a worry, never a care in the world, no fear about, you know, being bucked off, left in the wilderness because <laughs> there was certainly some places that we went that uh, I don't think you'd ever be 
found to yeah, this very yeah, day. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, they're really just happy memories of those sorts of things. And then, of course, uh, as I morphed from that, I went into some of the um, agricultural shows. And very much in those days, there was no hack shows or anything of the like. And, uh, and the agricultural shows were a real family day and just a great family fun day where you could sort of go and, and visit friends. Yep. Yep. which was great. So yep. um, and then from there I decided that I felt that I'd learnt enough from that and so then <laughs> uh, my journey into the um, dressage scene sort of started from there and, of course, I've been uh, very passionate about that um, ever since as far yeah. as that's concerned. Did you do any jumping, Maxine? Because you teach a little bit of jumping, don't you? I don't teach a lot of jumping, no. Mm-hmm. Very little, in fact. Uh, I certainly incorporate um, poles and grids into the dressage lessons that I have. Certainly it's an extremely useful tool, if not anything, but, you know, helping keep the horse a bit fresh for people. And a lot of the times the poles cause them to sort of refocus on going over the pole rather than, you know, sometimes they just sort of, you say, ride a straight line and, they worry about doing that, so you put a pole in the way and it refocuses them on getting over the pole and then they're up the other end where they didn't think they would be, so yeah. to speak. So yeah. so I certainly use poles and grids. Personally, I joined Pony Club when I was really quite um, old and at that stage there was no jumping grading and so I had a little 13-hand horse that was expected to sort of jump a metre. So oh, I think okay. I spent more time jumping over the um, jumps <laughs> than the horse actually spent jumping yeah. the jumps. Yes, <laughs> so, yes. yes. So um, while I've certainly done a, lot, a little bit of low-level cross-country, that's it. I've certainly not gone into the big boys league as far as that's concerned. Yeah. Yeah. What about coaching? Was that like a natural progression? Did you start to teach people before you decided you were going to be a coach or you there was an actual decision? I always had in-ground into me a sort of a sense of community from mm. my family and uh, I um, always wanted to sort of be able to help people. So right from, you know, day job, because as I said, I was a little bit older when I joined Pony Club, I was more than happy to sort of help people. So I ended up becoming a pony club coach and enjoyed doing that pretty much until I actually went off to university. And um, Mm -hmm. obviously when I was away at university, then it sort of waned a little bit as far as that's concerned. But I've always sort of been in a position to help people. And then as my children got older and my time sort of became freer, I was able to sort of concentrate on, uh, I suppose, putting some formal credentials to what I'd actually been doing for many, many years. Yep. So it was really good as far as that was concerned. And, of course, the coach pathway became, as that improved, um, it actually became achievable, which it really wasn't achievable in the early days because I was actually living in the country and so access to coach educators was... um, very, very difficult at that time unless you were able to sort of down tools and sort of head off somewhere to Mm. stay for an extended period at places like um, Heath Ryan's place. So um, so the new um, pathways certainly, I believe, are um, chunked into smaller goals that enable, you know, most people to um, achieve the self-paced learning. Yep, yep. 
What about if someone wants to now become a coach or not even become a coach, but just work with horses and have the ability to work with horses? You know, they're passionate about horses. What else do they need to be able to have a career? Pretty much they need a lot of patience, a lot of persistence and a lot of practice. The beauty now, as opposed to when I was first starting out, is that there are opportunities and it is a viable career. Uh, It's certainly, when I first started out, I don't really know, unless you were a stockman or a jockey, you really didn't make a lot of money out of horses as far as that's concerned. But uh, it's a viable career. Um, And there's so many opportunities of, of overseas travel to get, the education that's required and uh, yeah it's certainly a lot easier to be able to um, access it and also you know technology has certainly brought things closer for everybody as well um, as far as that's concerned but uh, but yes you certainly need a lot of tenacity to sort of stick at it because it's uh, it's hard it's hard physically it's and it's hard mentally. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. What do you think is the best thing about it, though, about working with horses? Oh, it's an absolute passion. I think you just, you have it. It's being able to work with an animal that is so unbelievably giving when you get it right. Um, It's being outside amongst nature. Yeah, they're just an absolutely magnificent animal. They really are. It's just like art. It's poetry in motion it's it's just a wonderful feeling that's really hard to um capture from anything else you're just working with a uh, as i said a beautiful beautiful animal that uh, is so willing to please mm. so mm. often yep who's influenced you there's i've actually had many influences mm-hmm. certainly in the early days um my uh, mentor um has been a woman whose name is Tina Bridge, an absolutely incredible horsewoman, very humble. She certainly doesn't sort of, you know, market herself as far as that's concerned. But amazing woman and an unbelievable gift at being able to tell you what the horse was basically thinking, I suppose. And for me, I suppose, probably the um, the first horse whisperer, for want of a better word, she would break in 90 horses a year. She's a very small woman, so obviously it wasn't about brute force as far yep. as that was concerned. But being a woman in a game that really is still largely male-dominated in many areas, she really didn't get great horses to start with. Mostly the horses she would get would be because the men had given up on them. <laughs> so she taught me so much about um, horsemanship, about keeping it simple. Um, Even today, you know, I would contact her about my, you know, certain things, and what do you think about this and and that type of thing. But, but yeah, as far as young horse issues, you know, she's just brilliant. Then from there, I sort of wanted to, I had a little horse that I had bred and um, he was just such a clever little horse and I wanted a little bit more. And so, Mark Kittle actually um, then sort of helped me sort of progress this little horse that certainly wasn't bred to be an FEI horse um, into a little Grand Prix horse. Um, (laughs) And so, you know, I really valued the work that he helped me with as far as that's concerned. And 
And then who can sort of not be inspired by the absolute harmonious picture that Charlotte Dujardin has done with Allegro? I mean, sure. it's just a magnificent picture. And then you've got to be also inspired by some of our um, para writers. I remember a particular time when I was feeling a little bit sort of despondent in my writing, watching um, Danielle Waymark. And I just sort of thought, well, you know, she had the most amazing core strengths. And I thought, what am I complaining about, you know? So some of those writers have unbelievably inspirational stories that um, enable you to sort of think, oh, you know, I've really got nothing to complain about, just get on with it. So, yeah, there's certainly been quite a few, but certainly Tina is still my... um, who mentored me the most as far as that's concerned. Yeah, so Tina taught you to keep it simple. Tell us about an incident or, you know, just a time where you've really learnt something else from her. I suppose I would go to and and did grab lessons at every opportunity, but we didn't have a lot of money, so they were very fragmented And so you would sort of hear things like, you know, left leg, right rein here, left rein here, and keep to the contact and, you know, get that impulsion going. And and they were words that I kind of thought that I knew but really didn't, whereas Tina would basically just sort of say, you know, pull the right rein, you know, kick with the left leg and just broke it down into more manageable pieces that uh, just made it a little bit um, simpler, you Mm. know, and above all, you know, forward. When everything is forgotten, you know, kick the horse forward and you will get, you know, most of your mistakes will will disappear if the horse is forward. Yeah, yeah. What about horses? Um, I've been absolutely blessed in having uh, and still own a beautiful little Palomino part-bred Welsh that I initially bred for my daughter. Mm-hmm. Lucky for me, when I went to sell him, the woman who was going to buy him had a, a, a medical incident and didn't buy him. And he just was so trainable. He was never ever bred to be a Grand Prix dressage horse in any way, shape or form, but he was just so willing and so keen and every little step that I took with him, I would sort of think, oh, let's have a bit of a dabble with lateral work, you know, shoulder in. Oh, gee, oh, he he can do that, you know, let's ramp it up a little bit and do travers, renvers. He can do that. Oh, my goodness, let's have a go at one flying change and um yeah he would sort of go yep i can do that and uh okay let's sort of ramp it up now to 15 and uh you know essentially he just you know every little goal that i really didn't ever believe would be achievable he just did it and so he certainly still does have a um a special place in in my heart And, of course, the very first horse that I bought, of course, because uh, the first horse that I bought really was I had to sort of save every single penny um, to actually buy my first little horse, Peppy. And, um, you know, I didn't have any help from my parents. They lived in middle suburbia and, 
and um, you know horses weren't sort of on their radar as far as that was concerned. So um, so yeah, so she was a special one, and uh, the other really special one that I had was. Um, um, thoroughbred mare that I bought as a um, weanling and she took me to my first royal show and uh, again you know when I first got her if you had told me that I would be able to um, achieve you know taking her to a royal and competing at a royal I would have sort of thought oh no that goal's really not achievable I couldn't do that so uh, so yeah, so I have been really lucky to um, to have had a few really special ones. I mean, I've had quite a lot of horses over the years, but certainly those ones are um, are very very special horses to me. Mm. And um, yeah, there were horses that weren't sold. Um, and as I said, Ricky is family, so <laughs> he won't he yes. won't be sold either. <laughs> yep, yep. What about your proudest moment? What do you think that was? Well, um, I sort of alluded to some of it, um, Mm. firstly buying my first horse, going to a royal, but one of the really, really proud moments, of course, was my first Grand Prix dressage test. Okay, if I really look back at it in hindsight and uh, as it put my judging hat on, it probably wasn't really very amazing, (laughs) but, uh, you know, I thought... I thought it was at the time, um, but probably where I really, really was absolutely thrilled was when they had the international riders at the um, Sydney CDI and uh, they asked for loan horses. And um, I sort of was quite happy because I was fairly confident that my horse was, um, you know, reasonably bomb-proof as far as that's concerned. So uh, for a number of years, I actually lent him to the international riders and, uh the very first time that he um, went, he was actually the Japanese rider Toshio Taguchi from Japan actually rode him into second place. Now, wow. second yep. place might not sound amazing, but when you consider that it was second place behind Rosie Ryan and uh, <laughs> all the horses that were there were serious Grand Prix horses and um, my um, little horse wasn't actually... <laughs> You know, he was uh, just a little pony, but, you know, he worked his heart out for a strange rider. And uh, I thought, you know, how proud is that? You know, I've bred this horse, I've trained this horse, and uh, somebody who's had 10 minutes riding him has been able to, um, you know, just really show off the training that that I'd put into him. So Mm -hmm. I was immensely proud. And even as I sit here, I still sort of look at the the prizes that he got from that CDI. So, But he then went on um, for all the rest of the time that they had the international riders. I lent him um, every year, but uh, then the CDI decided not to do that anymore. I think they found it very, very difficult to... um, get the horses and that's certainly understandable but uh, I had a lot of fun with that you know sort of meeting people from other countries and, and hearing how dressage works in their country and uh, yeah it was um, it really was great fun really enjoyed it as far yeah. as that's concerned yeah. so um, so yes and I'm still looking forward to going to the um, Sydney CDI which is on in a couple of weeks just um <laughs> even if it's only just to watch, but, um, yep. but yeah, it's a lot of fun as well. Thinking about, you know, having a Grand Prix pony, you told me about how trainable he was and all the good times. What was the biggest challenge that you found? Did you find that you were, you know, the judges sort of almost discounted you because he was just small or 
you know, did you have other challenges because he was small or not? Um, probably the biggest challenge uh, was that um, he didn't really have the scope of paces. Yes, like the movement. Yeah, he yes, didn't have yes. the movement. So mm-hmm. even when he was at his absolute best, really trying his heart out, you know, his scores weren't amazing. Um, they were acceptable um, but weren't amazing. And I suppose the other thing, I was actually very, very lucky in that um, the rules have since changed and uh, he would not actually have been allowed to even compete FEI yep. Um, yep. now yep. because of the uh, the fact that uh, the quality of the horses that we have in Australia is just... Um, made a huge paradigm shift. I mean, the horses that we have are, you know, equal to anything that we've got worldwide now. I mean, we've got access to, you know, artificial insemination. The, the breeding is, is unbelievably terrific. So so that was certainly a, um, a little bit of a challenge as far as that's concerned. But uh, as far as challenging horses are concerned, my current younger one is uh, more challenging than he actually was. <laughs> yep. Yeah. And uh, it's probably not something I really wanted in the twilight years of my um, actual competing. But uh, but anyway, persistence has paid off and she is actually turning a bit of a corner at the moment. So, uh, so things are really looking very positive at the present time, which is terrific. Good, good. Just thinking about the riders that you teach, you know, because you said you teach a few nervous riders. What sort of exercises do you give your nervous riders? Um. It's probably not necessarily exercises as such. It's really just trying to chunk down the work to an achievable goal. And for some people, that can be as simple as just getting on and walking one circle and getting off. And the next day, getting on and walking two circles and getting off. That's really how nervous some of my riders Um, have been as far as that's concerned and it's just such a joy when you know you've eventually convinced them that you know okay we can trot now and um, yes we can trot up at scary corner now and um, and yes we've been trotting for quite a while now and why don't we just canter and um, you know it's so it's really just piecing it into very very, very small achievable parts so that they can gain the confidence and move forward. And uh, and as I said, I've, I've had some that were so nervous like that that are now competing and looking at competing, you know, at novice. Uh, whereas, you know, a couple of years ago, if you'd told them that they'd even so much as sort of ride out of the arena they would have just about had a heart attack but um you know they're really enjoying what they're doing and um and it's really about small steps um i mean if someone had said to me when i first started riding that a i would end up at a royal and and b i would be able to actually ride grand prix i would have just sort of thought oh no no that's just absolutely not achievable but (laughs) if you just sort of really break it into much smaller steps you, you, the days years and months go by and you sort of think oh wow i've got there wow i've yeah. got it wow yeah. what's next 
<laughs> so yeah, that's probably more how I go at, you know, yeah. really coercing and helping them get over the mindset of it. Yeah, yeah. No, that's good. That's good. If you're an equestrian coach or a horse riding instructor, or even if you aspire to be one, have a look at the free video series for horse riding instructors on the Horse Chats website. Go there now. Have a look. Horsechats.com. What about books, Maxine? Have you got a book that you could recommend to our, our listeners? couple of books, really. Um, my mentor, Tina Bridge, wrote a book called Bridging the Gap from Wild to Mild. And for me, it's just an excellent Bible if you're dealing with any young horse issues, you know, from the horse basically from breaking in to being able to ride it. From there, uh, another book that I um, got hold of very early in the piece was um, Sally Swift's Scented Riding. Um, as a child, I, I rode lots. I, I balanced actually pretty well on a horse, but uh, it wasn't until I decided to start this dressage thing that I realised that, okay, I've balanced really well, but I really, really am not riding. I only think I am. And so Sally Swift's book really enabled me to get that visual perspective of, you know, like how much pressure do you need on the reins? Oh, okay, you need the amount of pressure that uh, holding a little canary in your hand is like. Um, you know, what's it like to sort of have your joints sort of quite supple and, uh, you know, where should your shoulders align, that sort of thing. And so the imagery that she puts within that book um, enabled me to sort of picture where my body should be and uh, the control that's needed for your body to be able to actually, um, you know, really influence the horse and actually ride it well, which uh, you really don't begin to do until you start to sort of really enjoy, you know, taking a horse through the training levels of um, of the dressage um, uh, game. Yep, yep. What about your philosophy? You know, your overall philosophy with horses and training horses, teaching. Maxine, what would you say is your philosophy with horses? Probably, as I've sort of said before, you know, big goals are actually achievable if you just start with the first step. And, you know, I certainly when most people come to me sort of riding, I, I very few of them sort of say, oh, look, you know, I want to compete or I want to do, you know, X, Y, Z with a horse. But uh, very shortly they're, you know, looking at new goals, new bits, and because as a coach you scaffold it in an achievable way, um, those big goals that they never even visualised or envisaged are really happening for them and uh, and as a coach I think that's probably one of the most rewarding things is to be able to share in in that journey of um, them achieving goals that probably never even occurred to them. Yep, yep, that's good. Okay Maxine, how can people contact you? Probably the best way. Um, as a coach, I'm on the EA website um, and uh, as a judge, I'm also on the EA website. So it uh, has my um, email address, um, my landline phone number, which is the best way to contact me because um, 
mobile service is a little bit erratic <laughs> where I live, um, and uh, my mobile uh, number there is there. Um, also, I have um, a uh, Maxine Cummings Facebook page, which predominantly just has uh, some of the things that I'm doing with horses and judging and that sort of thing um, on it. So people are, and uh, it's an open page; it's not private. So um, people are more than welcome to message me um, through that page, as far good, as that's good. concerned. The other thing too, Maxine, it'll be on horsechats.com slash Maxine Cummins or just go to horsechats.com, search for Maxine or search for Cummings and you'll find uh, contact details at the bottom of your page. Yeah, so then that way people can contact you. Yeah. So, yeah, Maxine, thanks for talking to us today. Been uh, very good. Oh, thank you very much. Yeah. It's been an absolute pleasure um, and uh, I feel quite sort of humble amongst all the other people that you've interviewed. Um, it's uh, It's been wonderful. Thank you. Yeah. Look, I'm sure you've got a message to contribute as well. I'm sure people will enjoy the interview and uh, get some, some education out of it. So thanks. If you've enjoyed this chat, then please comment, rate and subscribe. If you'd like any changes or recommendations for guests, then please contact us through horsechats.com. And while you're online, have a look at the government-accredited courses at internationalhorsecollege.com. Registered Training Organisation 31352. Remember that our comments and instructions are general in nature and do not take into consideration your individual horses or your individual ability and circumstances. If you enjoyed this podcast, then please leave your comment below 